attention people who still care. How can us regular people invest in a way that fixes our broken financial system? This is the question we ask on the Crowd Effect podcast. I am your host, Paul Lovejoy, activist investment advisor at Stakeholder Enterprise. On today's show, the banking industry is high-fiving itself for passing the Federal Reserve's annual stress test with flying colors. Will the banks be giving us consumers high fives or will they be giving us a reach around while they take us from behind? But before we get into that, I first want to say that the Federal Reserve stress test is kind of like a game of financial Jenga. In a game of Jenga, players remove blocks from a tower one by one. If the tower becomes too unstable, it will collapse. The Federal Reserve's stress test is similar in that it simulates a severe economic downturn by removing blocks from the banking system. The Jenga blocks represent economic shocks, such as a decline in asset prices or an increase in unemployment. The Fed's stress test sees how long the banking system can remain stable before it collapses. Which brings us to our main story of the day. Big banks pass stress test and remain well capitalized. The Federal Reserve announced on Wednesday that all 23 banks that were tested passed the stress test. The results showed that banks remain well capitalized and would be able to withstand a severe recession. The stress test subjected banks to a hypothetical scenario in which the economy experienced a severe recession with a sharp decline in GDP, a rise in unemployment, and a decline in asset prices. Under this scenario, banks would experience significant losses, but they would still maintain capital ratios well above minimum requirements. So, capital ratios are a measure of a bank's financial strength. They are calculated by dividing a bank's capital by its assets or liabilities. Capital is a bank's cushion against losses, and it is important for banks to have a strong capital base in order to withstand financial stress. Now, the Jenga analogy is also a good way to think about the importance of capital ratios, how much capital they have in reserves. In a game of Jenga, the blocks at the bottom of the tower are the most important because they provide the foundation for the tower. Similarly, capital ratios are important for banks because they provide a cushion against losses. If a bank's capital ratio is too low, it will be more likely to collapse in the event of a severe economic downturn. Banks are required to maintain a certain minimum capital ratios. The minimum capital ratios are set by regulators and they vary depending on the type of bank and the country in which it operates. In the United States, the minimum capital ratios are set by the Federal Reserve. Banks that fail to maintain the minimum capital ratios may be subject to regulatory sanctions such as fines or restrictions on their activities. In some cases, banks that fail to maintain the minimum capital ratios may be forced 
to close. The 23 largest banks that were tested uh, would experience total losses in this scenario of $541 billion. However, they would still have sufficient capital to meet their obligation to creditors and counterparties under this extreme hypothetical. The Federal Reserve will release a more detailed report on the stress test results later this year. So, what does all of this mean? What is uh, the, the largest banks uh, passing the tr stress test? What does that mean? So, it means that the largest banks operating in the United States are so flushed with cash that these banks can still rake in massive profits while keeping on average 10% of their capital in liquid form. So uh, it's worth noting that Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic Bank both passed the Fed's stress test last year in June. Now, does it mean that the stress test is worthless? No, no, that's not what I'm saying. It's just not perfect. And there's so many different scenarios uh, and variables that could happen that it's impossible to test for all of them. And so this is just a general test to make sure that they at least have enough capital. Uh, their, their ratio, their capital ratio is, is in a way to, to handle uh, the majority of uh, scenarios. So uh, ultimately, you know, having an annual stress test is so much better than if there wasn't one. Gosh, that would be disastrous. Um, you know, even if the tests aren't, aren't perfect, but ultimately, I mean, wouldn't it be better if we didn't have to worry about banks causing our financial to, uh, system to collapse in the first place? Um, so which leads me to the, my financial tip of the day, put your money into a credit union. So I, I mentioned, you know, wouldn't it be better not to worry uh, about, whether our, our banks are, are going to cause our financial system to collapse. Um, and the reason why banks uh, are putting all of us in a position uh, where our financial system to collapse is because of the way banks are designed. Now, uh, doing regulators, uh, doing stress tests, and uh, having all these regulations to, to try and prevent fraud, all of that is, is very needed with, when you have corporations, these banks, these, these large banks designed that the way that, that they are. Uh, we've, I'm, I'm sure most of us have thought about uh, how these, these big publicly traded banks, um, how they uh, you know, operate with a pressure to constantly increase uh, quarterly profits for their shareholders. Um, and if they increase the, the profits, then the shareholders are happy. They're making money. The, the banking executives, they're making money. They get the bonuses. Um, and everyone's happy. Um, but um, when share prices go down, uh, then the banking executives, well, the share, shareholders will lose money and the banking executives are, are, are legally, uh, you have the legal ability to fire them. Uh, and, and so that is creating this intense pressure for 
the banking executives to increase their quarterly profits every three months by releasing, you know, when they're releasing their quarterly reports. And what happens is, is that the, the pre- this pressure makes it uh, inevitable for unethical and exploitive uh, behavior to occur. And, and it's no wonder that the banking industry is the most penalized industry in this country. Um, according to the Violation Tracker Project, which has been uh, keeping records since 2000. So to, to put, let's put it in perspective how abusive uh, the banking industry is, how unethical and, and their exploitive behaviors. And, and, and let's, get some, let's get some real numbers here so you can get it in perspective. So the, the, the banking industry, uh, they've been penalized since 2000 365 billion dollars in in the last 23 years um now let's take the top four banks in, in the banking industry and they uh uh own half of all the banking assets in this country four banks that's it so there's this massive concentration of wealth and four banks control half of uh, all of our assets and um, how much have they been penalized? They've been penalized just four banks, $170 billion, just these four banks alone. And it kind of makes sense. That's, that's kind of half of all of the penalties uh, against uh, banks. So let's put it in perspective. The pharmaceutical industry, which is the second most penalized industry in this country, uh, they've been fined since 2000, according to the Violation Tracker Project, $113 billion. The oil and gas industry, which is the third uh, most penalized industry in this country, uh, they uh, have had $55 billion in penalties in the last 23 years. So if you add up the penalties of the entire pharmaceutical industry and the entire oil and gas industry, it, stay, it's, it still doesn't match what just four banks have been uh, penalized in, in 23 years. Just four banks uh, have been penalized more than the entire pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical industry and the entire oil and gas industry combined. You think about all the companies that are in these industries uh, and just four, four. So, if this isn't a broken financial system, I don't know what is. Uh, and so that's why I'm saying uh, put your money into a credit union. Now, putting your money into a credit union does a number of things. Um, first of all, they're designed differently, credit unions. Uh, they are nonprofit. And so when uh, credit unions uh, earn generate revenue above their expenses, well, there's no shareholders to... Um, to, to disperse to. Instead, they pump that revenue right back into the credit union, 
which leads to free services uh, for its members. Uh, services like um, financial education, um, uh, lower uh, interest rates for uh, home loans, and uh, sometimes they even offer um, first-time buyer programs so you can really learn about the different options you have with with home loans, and, and uh, it's free, all free, and, and, and then you'll get a better rate. Uh, higher uh, interest rates on savings accounts, so putting your money into a credit union will will offer uh, will get you a better return on your. It's still not great. There's better places to put your money, but it's better than uh, the big banks. Way better than the big banks. Uh, the uh, credit unions uh, they offer lines, personal lines of credit, which um, Chase and Bank of America, the two largest banks in the country, who are also the 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 top two companies that have been penalized the most since the year 2000 um, violation tracker project thank you they don't offer lines of credit um, now instead they have credit cards they have back credit cards now a personal line of credit and a credit card they're very similar in in the sense that they're revolving uh, debt so if you don't owe anything on your credit card you don't have to make any payments if you don't own any owe anything on your line of credit you don't have to make payments uh, but when you borrow uh, something uh, you know use your credit card uh, well uh, and you don't pay it back that first month now uh, you are making payments with this incredibly high interest rate currently that interest rate is hovering on average just over 20 percent wow uh, a line of credit it can be linked to your bank account uh, and used as overdraft protection. So let's say you have your banking debit card and you, you buy something, but uh, you don't have enough in your bank account. Well, it will automatically draft off of your line of credit and uh, with no, without any fee, no fee happens. And when you have to repay your line of credit, on average, currently right now, uh, they're hovering around 10%. So the the the, um, the amount that you have to uh, pay to borrow money uh, is way lower on, on a line of credit, and um, the credit unions are the ones that offer them to their members, um, and the big banks are the ones that are offering the credit cards, uh, and so this is why why is because you're going to get more money. It's this pressure. It doesn't stop. The banks and banking executives are constantly looking for ways to increase fees uh, because um, before they're committing an unethical act and they get caught for it and then they get fined and regulated. The fine is expensive. Implementing the regulations are expensive, but the pressure is still there. That doesn't go away. So they're looking for new ways to, to get fees. And that's a huge one, doing credit cards and not lines of credit. Uh, so so yeah, put your money into a, a credit union. The other thing is it's, it's community-based. So we don't ha have this concentration of wealth 
in four banks. Uh, yeah, if uh, too big to fail, you have you can't we can't have one of these banks failing. But if a credit union fails, it's not connected to anything. There's no uh, shock waves through the stock market because they don't trade on the stock market. They're nonprofit. Even when Silicon Valley Bank and First Re Republic Bank collapsed, shock waves were felt on the stock market. People lost money, uh, and and. That's what happens when you have these 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 banks that are designed with all this pressure to increase uh, quarterly profits. And when you are working in banks, there's just so much money around. It's just so tempting to to use it in a way that oh no one's gonna find out. It's just it's, it's so tempting. And of course we have all these regulations and stress tests and and all this stuff just because we're trying to keep in control a a, a, a bank that is horribly designed in the first place. Uh, with credit unions, uh, there's elections. Uh, members get to elect who's on their board. So we can elect a diverse board. So there isn't uh, this this thinking, uh, this homogenous thinking where, where, where everyone's thinking the same. The Silicon Valley Bank board, well, um, seven of them all had masters out of the 12. Seven of the board members had MBAs from Stanford. Uh, the, the thinking is the same. And, and so it's, it's not just a concentration of wealth with these banks, but it's also a concentration of power where you have very similar like-minded people running the banks. And whereas credit unions, it's super diverse. It's not necessarily financial people at all who are on the board. So, and they're looking out for the community where they live. Uh, so it's, it's a no brainer. Uh, uh, in my opinion, financially speaking, just to simply put your your money into to a credit union. If you want to strengthen our financial system, that is the easiest and best way to do it. It's in our, our economy's best interest and it's in your best interest. My name is Paul Lovejoy. I am a crowd investor and I see you are one too. If you'd like to know how to fix our broken financial system democratically, Without confrontation or divisive political action, go to stakeholderenterprise.com.